to the Golf Barons podcast, Tenuous Links, a golf pun we're not only incredibly proud of, but one we're also sure to emulate. Let us careen through bloviated opinions on all things golf, some outrageous innovation ideas to speed up the game, a few laughs, and an historical retelling of an iconic golf moment. Time to add some swagger to your swing. Hello Barons, today's Tenuous Links is brought to you by the Titleist AVX Golf Balls. Engineered for greater ball speed, longer distance and increased short game spin, just as Kip approved in his comparison review. AVX was developed as a performance alternative to sit alongside Titleist Pro V1 and Pro V1X models, offering the lowest flight, lowest spin and softest feel of these three premium balls. Keep an eye out for the Titleist AVX golf balls, higher speed, longer distance, and more control. And with that, it's now time to welcome back Philly. Philly, the big fella, he's got an extra wide smile today. Could even say he's got a bit of swagger in his step, Phil. Uh, It's just good to be back. I know we've had a little bit of a break to get our uh, collective heads and minds together. So that didn't take long. It was the hernia. They will call it, but no, a little bit of a break. Just we had a little bit on shooter, which uh, I'm sure we'll be able to touch on, just as an excuse, if nothing else. But looking forward to getting back into this because I actually enjoyed doing this and I enjoy some of the rubbish that we speak. We do speak a bit of rubbish, but we should quickly let let our listeners know why we've been away, Phil. We spent a lot of time in the editing booth, haven't we? Well, yes, you have, and I've been spent a lot of time watching you in the editing booth, Damon. For those who don't know yet, we've had a bit of a win. Golf Barons is season one is officially on Foxtel and on KO Sports or on KO. So big high five for us, Phil. Uh, one hand stand of one hand high fiving. Damo, but yeah, no, it was awesome. It was awesome news. And I've discovered a hell of a lot about that part of the journey and that part of the business that I know nothing about. I mean, I don't know much about anything, but I know even less. I think about, you know a lot about a little bit. About that side of the business and being able to sit there and watch – uh, how painstaking we needed to be to be able to nail the the finished product. And really, I was getting so good at getting coffees. It was outrageous. My delivery, coffee delivery in an oh. age of COVID, unbelievable. You're, you're the COVID coffee king, Phil. The COVID- There's a bit of alliteration for you. <laughs> More alliteration. <laughs> that becomes a theme with us. It does. So there it is. Make sure you get on and check check us out on Foxtel or on KO if you've got it. We're pretty excited about this. It's a it's a big big deal for us, obviously, and hopefully we are going to help uh, add a bit of swagger to everyone's swing and and just um, a bit of bit more of the lighter side of golf. But enough about that goodness. Don't that sounds it. too much lovey lovey dovey stuff, Phil. We kick what? off with hate, and I'm gonna I'm gonna kick us off for this one. It's 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 a little bit hard to find hates, to be honest, because we've had such a, a great little period. But my hate, Phil. I hate losing drone footage from some <laughs> some of the most magnificent uh, champagne comedy <laughs> in a in a challenge that we've had it happened recently. For this is us uh, filming for season two, and it, currently it looks like some of our distraction challenge footage has gone missing. You took this opportunity to mention that in the absence of Dev. I know. Um, <laughs> that's very courageous of you. I mean, it's not enough that we're social distancing by recording from different locations. You also needed to make sure he wasn't even listening. But for all that hard work, I mean, it, it's not easy hitting wedge shots in light of some of the rubbish that I had to put up with. 
Oh, it, it, it's going to come up well either way, but some of the drone footage did look absolutely magnificent. Some comedy gold, and hopefully it's not lost to the world. Fingers crossed that that missing memory card turns up. Dav, check under your car seat somewhere. It was bound to happen uh, <laughs> with you, big fella. Anyway, that's my hate, Phil. Out the way, short and sharp. I know you've got some yourself. I do have another hate, and I'm going to lead into this with what is my favourite episode of Cheers of all time. And it was Fraser mm. Crane reading to Norman Cliff from A Tale of Two Cities, Charles Dickens. Mm-hmm. And I quote, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It was an age of wisdom, it was an age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief, it was the epoch of incredulity. This is my golf game. I thought for a second we were turning into a literary podcast, Phil. No, <laughs> Cliff game, Clavin's Tale comment of, of <laughs> Cliff Clavin's comment of this Dickens character really like tries or really likes to keep his butt covered <laughs> is Absolutely perfect way of describing my golf game. So I'm calling this Defining Nines. This is my hate. Funnily enough, it will also be my love. Defining Nines. <laughs> Damo? Yes, Defining Nines. Ten points, four three putts, three lost balls. First ten, nine Oh, ten, t- ten. ten Stableford points. Is what ten Stableford you, had, points. you had ten Stableford points. Ten Stableford points. Really yeah. strong start, eight down, and things just not quite heading my way. If I can move straight into my loves. Please do. Defining nines. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. I've shot one under on the back nine, Damo. I haven't missed a green. I've had a three putt and two birdies. <laughs> what? How does this happen? What one under? Yeah, I've you shot been, one under off the stick on the back you, nine. That's you haven't done that since you were probably eighteen. I've had twenty six Stableford points on the back nine and ten on that, the front. Wow. The last time you did that, the, the color TV didn't even exist, Phil. It's a bit racist, but I don't. I just don't get it. So defining nines, it, it, I am Charles Dickens. I am a tale of two cities. My golf game is a tale of two cities. And by the way, you really should check out that episode because it is hilarious. Is there an Oliver Twist in this at all, Phil? Yeah, sorry, I only watch Cheers. I don't read books. Oh, very good. Well, that's um, that's an interesting love and an interesting hate, I guess. <laughs> but for me, my love. My loves again. I'm, I'm. I've been a little bit, a little bit obsessed with, uh, with this show and the concept and working, working forward with season two and ideas of really creative things. And my love is just seeing where we can take what starts out as a really simple idea, and then off, off we go. We take it away with a bit of a, a bit of creative exploration, and just see how, how out there we can get to prove a golf point. And I, lo- I just love that. <laughs> I love that process. We sort of we let that idea go naturally, or I guess sort of semi naturally. We, we we have an idea of where it, things might go, but seeing what you think it's going to start out with, and then where it ends up, I, I love it. This let's just try it and have a crack mentality of of golf barons on set is something I absolutely love, Phil. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. <laughs> it is awesome. It, look to to just let the mind go. In fact, he's, it's another quite another great movie, LA Story. Let the mind go, and the body will follow. It, it, mm. We actually are getting much better at letting the mind go. And it's fair to say, I've, I reckon I've bumped into three or four people over the last few weeks, and we've spoken about the golf show, and they said, "Ah, oh, wouldn't it be good if you did this?" It's like. Yeah, I reckon we're already there, and I think you yeah. find we've already written a script around it. Yeah, exactly. Because we're so messed up. Like all, all of us come from towards the game from completely different angles, mm-hmm. or largely different angles. And Kipper, you know, being the professional with that really elite golf background, me being an, a well-aged golfer, and you being, in comparison, 
to us to relatively new. And then you've got Dev chirping in with those ideas such as augmented reality and hitting golf balls at dinosaurs. I just can't play that one down. <laughs> but it's a great mix. It's like that we've all we've all tried medicinal marijuana and just seen what could come of it. <laughs> I don't know where you're getting with that, Phil, <laughs> but but no, I'm with you. I, I like it. Have you got any? Um, have you got a game changer for us this week, Phil? My, my game changer is more a thought, and you might have already stolen a little bit of the thunder. But imagine, sorry, imagine getting a golf show that you are absolutely obsessed with producing because you just felt that the game needed. Imagine getting a golf show. On, say, TV. I'm, I'm trying to imagine. I'm imagining, Phil. Imagine how game-changing that might be. Oh, that would be game-changing. Yeah, thought bubble. What if it was described as Top Gear for golf, Phil? God, we're really – this self-promotion thing doesn't sit well. I know, with us, does it, it? doesn't. I mean, doesn't. It's so, we're so awkward when we're trying to pump ourselves up. <laughs> We've but tried. the idea of actually trying to get golf represented – in a slightly different way than it is traditionally been, and we're not we're not trying to turn our back on tour or turn our back on on what others have done, but we're actually just trying to take it in a slightly different direction and and just celebrate it and have fun with it. My passion for the game since starting this project with you and Kipper and Dav and Mister Darrington has gone through the roof. Like I I am back so in love with the game again, and not just because of Alan, our other mate, it, but I'm so back in love with the game again on so many levels. It becomes self-fulfilling in a way, doesn't it, Phil? The more you do it, the more you realise how much you love it. And I think part of our job is reminding, and part of everyone's job in, in golf, media and golf production, is continuing to remind people little elements and tidbits of why they mm. do love everything about the game, even the defining nines, even having 10 points. And, yeah, I, th- yeah, I threw a club. Sorry, I just need to get that off my chest. Yeah, I threw a club. Yeah, I took six <laughs> what, minutes what to was look it doing for a ball on your chest? and then thought, and then think that's maybe there's a swing fault there, random swing theory. And yes, I took six minutes to look for a ball and then chip one out and then was going to take a point and then realised that six minutes is not three minutes. And I mean, not that I didn't, you know, I'm not trying to say that I'm the world's most honest human being. No one would believe it. Wait for season two. But there's just genuine love about what's around the corner, be it from a game point of view, a golf shot point of view, a putt, a chip, or for us, a business. And so, yeah, it's just, it's game changing. It's exciting. Okay, that's enough of us pumping ourselves up. I want to. I've got a game changer this week, Phil. That there's a very good chance that I'm going to automatically lose a few Uber golf rating points when I when I announce what it is. Uh, but how do we feel about introducing a one ball rule? <laughs> go, go on. So you have to play. This, this is all all designed at speeding up the game. And this is how. So we all get one ball to start with. You got to start with one. Yeah. So you have one ball. And you've that you start with, you have to finish with that same ball, or once you lose it, golf game over, over. In you go <laughs> into the clubhouse. This is a great idea, Phil. One, people will be will be more more reluctant to play stupid golf, pull out a driver when possibly they shouldn't. You're going to get more. You're going to have far less people on the course and less traffic. The course is going to be freer. People are going to get through a lot quicker. It's going to be better for clubs because there's more people in the clubhouse socialising, having a, a beer and a bite. Now, granted, golf ball companies are going to hate me for this, but but I reckon it's a fantastic idea. We've got to give this a try. Can I suggest maybe that you stand on the first tee, you throw your ball in the bushes and just go retire to the clubhouse, unless every hole is going to come back to the clubhouse? Well, yeah, there, there is a point there. For me, this is actually a really good good idea. As long as I'm not playing in a shotgun and I'm stuck over on 15, because that's a long walk back to the clubhouse. But if I start on a first, then straight away, I usually lose one off the first tee. So- if I do, then I know I'm, I'm not far from the uh, from the clubhouse. Doesn't hurt so much. 
so why don't you just throw a ball in the trees and go and have a beer? But I think to take your idea and give it the minutive, minutia of, of credit that it requires. Or credibility. What you could do is do it side by side. It's actually as a competition. They talk about these flag competitions whereby you have one ball, everyone starts on one, and you just plant your flag. The minute you've lost your ball, you plant your flag at the point you last struck it to get a sense. But you continue to compl- – I don't agree. I think we should continue to play the, the eight-in holes. But I think to actually plant a flag to see how far someone can get through with one ball, particularly with some of the trickier courses, I think it would be a nice insight into how nervous people get on a first tee, the most difficult tee shots. You know, you, you get a sense of, of most intimidating tee shots. I think if all of a sudden you get onto the third tee – and there are 70, you know, out of 90 people in the field, there are 71 flags plonked all over the t- all over the tee that you've got to then swing within. So I it's actually really like, like the I actually really like the idea in conjunction with an all rounder golf because I wouldn't like to get three holes in, or as of yesterday, two holes in, and realise that I had to trudge back to the clubhouse. It would almost look like a battlefield. Your your concept, you just have like all the little dead body flags everywhere, and you're seeing if you can just get uh, further across to the other side. What would you use? What kind of ball would you have if you were going to play that, though? One that Dev suggested would have a GPS unit in it. <laughs> I, I was thinking more you'd it'd be more likely to be promoting coloured balls, would it not? More people would play what? coloured balls if they knew they only had one. Uh, well, Kipper wouldn't. He's yeah. an anti-coloured dart. He is. He only sees it When it comes in, to golf balls, yes. In uh, in very light shades. True. I don't know. Very Look, true. I, don't, I don't know if there's a, a specific- Ball, I think you would you would just change your club selection. I mean, if you knew you had to get as deep into the course as possible, mm. you, all your club selections would change. And there's plenty of people there going, oh, what a crap top. Like, you could just putt or, you know, hit chips. Well, you've seen me chip and putt, so that's not going to help me. But I think it, the idea is actually being able to play your normal game and just seeing, as a challenge, just seeing how far you can get with, with one ball even. Little mind games within games. Because I think if you can learn to apply pressure to yourself mm. as you go, then when people are looking Philly, I'm going to feel less nervous, and it's probably going to—it's it's probably going to teach a lot, a lot more of a course management style approach to the game, which we know we all know we need to get better at, and very few of us actually take it on. A bit, of, you know, smarter golf. I think it would—it'd be probably not a bad idea to at least do this a couple of times, Phil, just to see where where you could take your game, where you could improve. You don't have to poo-poo every idea, Phil. This is a good right. game changer. You are tell you know. We're, I was hoping maybe game changers wouldn't come back after our hiatus, and I think <laughs> this might have just reassured that that it dies. That hurts. We'll give it. We'll give it a go. Just for you, we'll give it a go. Next time we play golf in two years' time, we'll give it a go. All right, Phil. All right, let's move along. Let's move along now to gear effect. Oh yeah, this is simple. So I've, my putting's been up and down, and I almost brought an old friend back into the golf bag, which was the Cleveland Classic designed by oh, Ben man. Crenshaw putter as used by Ben Crenshaw when he won the 95 Masters, but chose not to. Went down another track, and I'm just going to – like, I do love my golf gear, and you know that I love my golf you, gear. And, and you are a gear man. Freak. So to paint the story, 18 months ago, two years ago, I was given the opportunity to design a putter or to get a, a putter where I had complete control over head shape, paint fill, colour, shaft colour, grip, length, loft – Lot, the whole lot. And so what I created effectively was a complete knockoff of the uh, design by Ben Crenshaw putter, but it was from Toulon, the Toulon Garage, and it's called oh, yeah, Latrobe. Nice. Yeah. And Latrobe Golf Club is where I grew up playing golf, so therefore it meant a lot to me. The putter shape 
It was an important one because my Cleveland Classic putter has got the Latrobe stamp on the face as well. So I brought that out yesterday. And five holes in, it was suggested to me, and quite rightly, that it might want to just become a showpiece and put it in a frame and put it on my wall. The ornament. Um, but it fought back. and and But just this simplicity, and you are a blade man when it comes mm-hmm. to irons. When it comes to putters, the, the beauty of having nothing on it that distracts yeah. in any way, shape, or form, it, it could not be a more simple shape. It just reminded me, another thing that I love about the game, it helped that a few of them started rolling in, but you, you can't look at this putter and not just love it. Uh, and yeah. because it, it is mine and it's got my stamps on it, I love it even more. But, yeah, that was my gear effect. It's just back to, a little bit back to the future, a little bit going back, finding something that you had shelved and would, then would reminding your, yourself. Would that putter be a broomstick putter length for everyone else? The silence says it all. All right, Phil, that's very helpful of you. I'm going to my gear effect for this week. It's probably not so much spe- uh, around a specific iron or, or club, but around perception versus reality, you know, uh, in to do with matching your swing to the right clubs. Now, this thought stemmed from a comment on one of our YouTube reviews that suggested, based on the looks of our swings, yours and mine, that we should have had the opposite club. So that it was the the Ping i500 versus Blueprint review, where I had the Blueprint and you had the i500s. And the comment that came in was, oh, you know, your swing looks better, therefore you should have had the blades. And I do agree, your swing does look, you've got a lovely swing, Phil. You're a good swinger, swinging magnificently. But have we this perception that the look of our swings determines how good a golfer we are or how good a ball striker we are? Are we still are we still stuck on this? Because you and I both know I hit blades better than you do. Not a, not saying I'm a better golfer, definitely not. But it's just there. Are, just just because a swing looks good doesn't mean that it is necessarily designed for a specific club. Is that fair? It is fair. I was actually concerned for a minute there. I thought you were going to refer to the YouTube reviews where people referred to me being the most annoying human in the world, which means job done. Shout um, out to you, Mum. The, the, no, second most. The reality is, is that when you are choosing or when you are getting fitted for a set of golf clubs, one of the most critical pieces of that puzzle is choosing what you like the look of and what you're going to feel comfortable with, and then just getting the best fit to match that. So the reality is, as we've spoken about a few times, there, there could be numbers that say you're going to hit, let's say if you got fitted between Blueprint and I-500, yeah. there could be data that says in theory the I-500 should be better suited to you based on X, Y, and Z, but it actually is what happens in that little small gap, that one foot, as Dion would say, yeah. but before and after you hit the golf ball. So it can all look – like, look at Jim Furyk. Jim Furyk has no right to be the flusher that Jim Furyk is. But you can't look at Jim Furyk and immediately say, therefore, you should be using I-500 because you swing it around and look like you're changing the tyre on a moving car as opposed to someone who swings it like Ben Hogan. Yeah. Because it's all about what happens at, at impact. I mean, everything is about what happens at impact. And, and this notion of pretty is better or more important or, well, even, or even more desirable over effective – is this born out of this modern generation of, of teaching where we've seemingly lost that the that individuality 
in a swing. Throwback to yesteryear, and you, I know we touched on this briefly in the last podcast, where you could see silhouettes of golf swings and you'd be able to pick who it is, whereas today's golfers are very similar. There's not a huge gap. I mean, there's obviously there's the outliers. There's a few few that you'd be able to pick, like a Ricky Fowler, et cetera, but, or a Bubba Watson. But have we are we taking out that individual individuality of the game and losing a little bit of- a little bit of the soul of the game and the things that make it make it so wonderful. I would actually say, I mean, if we refer to the iron, so parking the, the iron discussion and matching the irons where we were, which is all just about how you hit them. From the swing point of view, I, I think you'd be surprised. I, I think the more PGA Tour golf you consume, forgetting amateur golf, amateur, amateurs we know have got all different swing shapes and sizes. And Kipper, with his developing this AI stuff that he's doing for his teaching side of his life, is discovering more and more that there are these critical elements in, in the golf swing that make all the difference mm-hmm. and also being able to then overlay that. I think you'd be surprised if you actually spent a few weeks watching the PJ Tour, I reckon you'd be able to choose 40% of the swings based on silhouette. I, I think they all have – they're they're not as distinctly different potentially as they might have been. I, and I think that's more, more the point that I mean. They're just at the extremes. They're less extreme. I suppose that's sort of what I mean. Yeah. I know you'd yeah. still be able to tell tell them apart, you know, to a degree, but I just they are a lot closer together than they once were. You know, the notion that there's more than one way to swing a cat was far stronger even probably even twenty years ago, thirty years ago, compared to today's golfers. I think the um probably what I'd lament and again going a little bit over old ground, but I remember being a kid with my mate Steve at a golf course called Ivanhoe and there was a practice putting green and when no one was on it, there were some high wires running across the practice putting green. There will be a point to my story. So there were some electrical wires and we actually decided to see if you could actually hit a lob shot over the electrical wires and still land it on the practice putting green at Ivanhoe. And we were going out of our way to do it. And this was all born of Seve and it was all born of this, this guru of imagination and creativity. So if anything... I think the reason that we still marvel at Mickelson or you think back to Victor Duesson, Duesson. Um, when we're amazed with him at the World Match Play in Arizona, in Arizona is the fact that he was actually able to see short shots differently. Mickelson sees shots differently. Hmm. So if anything, I would lament the actions. I'd lament the creativity that sits in people's thought, lives. And, yeah. in, and in Barron's life, we had that that most creative, you know, Bubba Watson, Phil Mickelson, just this ability to think and see hmm. gaps and not only see a gap, but understand their game so intently that they'll say, yeah, I'll, I'll, like Bubba Watson on 10 at Augusta, yeah, I reckon mm-hmm. I can hit a roping hook wedge around that tree from 140 yards that everyone else would look at and just say, well, you can't hook a wedge that far. Yeah, it's incredible. So it's actually that that creativity, and we keep talking about what would Seve do, and that's that's when you start to play exciting golf, is yeah, I can hit a chip and run, but what would Seve do? So, so if we think yeah. if we think about it now, then and today's golfers, let's see if we could. Who can we name that we would put into that really creative category? You've obviously said Victor Dubuisson. You've said Phil Mickelson. Who, who else? I mean, there's none that to me automatically jump out. Well, Sergio. I mean, Sergio's Sergio the other one, one who's yeah. who's got the the creativity, or you just and who just thinks about the game. A bit differently. I mean, we could you could sit down and, and make a bit of a list, and no doubt I'm being completely disrespectful and missing. Oh, we could make an argument for a lot of them, but I just mean compared to compared to the extremes of yesteryear. I suppose that's that's the thing for me. I think it's an it's a very obvious change in the approach to golfers. 
now that they're far more likely to be play a conservative style of game. Majority, the vast majority of them. There's a cat that we should probably mention at this point in time who does also see to see, seem to see the game a little bit differently. He sees shots that no one else sees. Tigger? And he's Yeah. He, he's he, the best of them, really. <laughs> if um, well, he is. And oh, like how that didn't even come up. Is, oh, it was in my mind, Phil. But, no, but, um, but, he, but Tiger's, see, Tiger's one that consistently doesn't get the creativity kudos that he deserves because he's probably because he's not as swashbuckling in his delivery of it. He still looks very much, you know, it's not as flu- fluid, the right word. You look at a Phil and Phil's all over the shop and he's throwing and you can see it's a big, it's a big move. It's extravagant. Tiger still always looks like it's almost the same swing and it just comes out differently because he's manipulated something so minute that his control is incredible. So he's incredibly creative, but I'm not sure that it looks as creative to the um, everyday eye. It probably helps having 10 fused vertebrae in your back, the fact that he doesn't jump around. Because if you think back to him 10 years ago, hitting some of his block cuts- where he would be jumping oh, around and flicking yeah. it around and all the rest. But, but as his inability to walk has taken over, a he kind of needs to be well. – so the mind has not slowed down. He just needs to be less – and I think swashbuckling is the right word, and that was always used to describe Arnie, is that, you know, you see the arms flailing around, but it's after the ball's gone. Mm. I mean, even Sergio, when he started bolting up the hill at the PGA at – Medina, was it? Well, just at the PGA, which I can't remember where it was. But, you know, all of that was show- – like a lot of it is that showmanship. And I think Tiger now realises that, you know what, everyone knows that I'm just awesome. So maybe I just don't need the showmanship. Or maybe that's just my love of him. Maybe. Maybe, Phil. Now, I want to introduce a new segment. It's one that you've wanted. Let's be <laughs> let's be perfectly frank. And it stems from our first season. It's called Top Topics, Phil, or as it will forever be known, Thop Thopics. Top Thopics. Over to you. <laughs> Why is it called a Thop uh, Thopic, uh, Phil? And I love Kipper. So as you watch and progress <laughs> our season, we taunt Kipper about his use of or his ability to throw in a consonant into the word Strixen to make it Strixen. And as we go, every now and again, there is a couple of other words that, that Kipper throws out that make less sense than some of mine. Um, they've become known as Kipperisms. They've become known as Kipperisms, but there was one introduction of a, um, a discussion topic when we were doing our flag shtick on the couch, and because it didn't really go anywhere because I gave you nothing and that was completely my fault, uh, Kipper said, oh, yeah, top topic. So we thought top topic can actually be a something segment. that we actually just present uh, at random. That's actually a really important thing to discuss or something going on with the game of golf that, that we just feel needed to be inserted somewhere without need for a special heading or otherwise, but then top topics came up. So anyway, everyone, top topics without any further ado. The big issue, Damo. Yeah, I'm listening. The big issue, good name, good mm. magazine, by the way. If you see anyone selling one, please make sure you, you, you buy one if you're in, or particularly in Australia. Bryson versus- Deschambault. Bryson versus Woodland. The big issue, the approach ah, to getting bigger big and issue, stronger versus leaner and leaner more and flexible. Mm. So it was commented when we were at the President's Cup doing some of our outstanding champagne work. Oh, some champagne comedy there, Phil. That uh, Bryson may well have eaten uh, most of his support crew because he looked- he uh, He actually looked time. like yeah. a rugby player. He was enormous. I mean, big shoulders, big thick set. young bloke. And from what I understand, he's only getting bigger. 
So, but at the same time that Bryson's decided to see exactly how enormous he can get to deliver what we can only assume is a a quest for uber distance. Or to get the next part in the next Incredible Hulk. Or maybe try and run as a tight end to replace Rob Gronkowski. Gary Woodland has decided to drop weight. He's gone the other way, yeah. In the interest of longevity of career and the interest of being leaner and the interest of being a more athletic physique and taking pressure off his body so he can do more for longer. I wonder whether partly Gary Woodland is about saying, I love golf so much I want to be able to play forever and I do want to play seniors tour and I do want to do these other things. I wonder whether Bryson is just saying, I just want to see what the body is capable of as some weird experiment because I actually don't give a crap whether I play golf in five years' time or otherwise because I certainly don't need to do it for the money. It's The motivation's a strange one for people to take two completely different paths. I, I like the irony of a of a science nerd now becoming the big big blocky jock in the NFL. I don't, I don't mind that. It's an interesting thing. He wants, Sorry, maybe he wants to beat himself up. I mean, he might want to, he might want to actually <laughs> want to steal take his himself own into money. the locker room and beat himself up. If I if I see any um, Instagram photos of him wedging himself, yeah. things things will uh, have taken a turn. It's, it is an interesting one though. See, Woodland Woodland doesn't need to hit the ball any further. He hits it he hits it out of sight. And where you're saying that Bryson is sees all he's saying now is I want that distance. I'll deal with everything else down the track, but just I want more and more distance. And I know I need to get a greater swing speed. So all based on his on his science. And in order to get that, he's got to make himself really big. It is it is a really interesting one because when you look at the longest hitters on the tour, they're not huge, Phil. Gary well, Woodland now. Is. Gary Woodland, fair enough. He's, he's trimmed down, sure. Okay, yep, Tiger in, at one point was obviously pretty pretty blocky. still is reasonably blocky. But then you go to go to Bubba Watson. Bubba, not a big not, – not bulky at all. Look at Dustin Johnson. He's just he's just flexible just as all get out and just a pure athlete. So when you start listing them, I'm not I'm not sure I'm not sure what science Bryson's applying to this. But he's the longest. He's now the longest. So and that's got- and that's probably the science that he's applying to it. <laughs> In that, but he's got this quest, and it's not his job to declare it. And I think he might have been stung by the fact that Brooks, you know, with that six pack mm-hmm. comment, you know, when Brooks. Set him on his ass, and I do love books. We're well aware, but I just don't. Know, but he's pursuing. It'll be fascinating to see what he does. Now, Dave produced that series, Fattenback. Mm-hmm. Our esteemed uh, film cameraman director produced a documentary about a, a fitness trainer, personal trainer, who decided he wanted to live the life of his customers. So he put on. I, don't I think know, it was forty kilos actually in a short space of time. 40 kilos. His objective was to put on 40 kilos and see if he could lose it within, within 12 within months. Within 12 months, yeah. I wonder whether part of this is a Bryson documentary where he's going to say, I'm going to get to 120 kilos and I'm going to hit the ball 215 miles an hour. Mm. So 140 mile an hour clubhead speed. But I'm then going to wind it back and see exactly what what I've done. So there might be a film crew that, that are documenting his whole journey. And it might be too enormous and back. I can't think of a normal, uh, another title. And, and Dave, if you're filming this behind our backs, we'll be very upset. But there must be method to it beyond – there must be method to it beyond length. So do you think he might be guinea, guinea-pigging himself for the greater good here, Phil? I think he might be guinea-pigging – guinea-pigging – It's a hard one to say. That was That's a kipperism. topic. <laughs> guinea-pigging himself to sell autobiographies. Interesting. The whole idea of shape, golf with shape, is an interesting one that's, that's, that's kind of plagued the, the thinkers of this, this space for a long time. When you look at 
it doesn't work for everyone. Like a Carl Peterson, he he lost. He was a big. He's a big guy. He lost a lot of weight and couldn't hit the ball after he did. He put it back on so that he could he could go back to swinging well. <laughs> so Craig Perry, Craig Popeye, another another great example. So I suppose it's just one of those things. What works for you is what you've got to focus on. I'm not sure yeah. there's a there's a real takeaway here or a clean takeaway from this. Unusually for me, it was interesting reading the the um, book "Can't Hurt Me" by Dave Goggins. And oh, for anyone who hasn't who, read it, who put you onto that, Phil? Yeah, I can't remember. But incredible, incredible book, and reading it with my oh, eyes man. and holding the book in my hands. But understanding the comment, so this is a guy who was one of the only people in the world, or maybe the only person who's ever been a Navy SEAL, uh, Army Ranger, and also in um, qualified in Strategic Air Command, and. But he spoke about this journey from big, heavy guy to losing weight to becoming mm. a SEAL to then being a gym junkie and getting enormous. Really big, and yeah. And at the age of 40, like he hit physical, peak physical fitness doing ultra marathons and, and ultra triathlons. But he makes the point late in his book that he now stretches for two hours a day. I think it's two hours a day. Mm-hmm. And he's never, he's, he's never felt in as good a physical condition in his life because he's actually relieving Tension. So he, even he's lived potentially the Bryson journey in advance of Bryson. So it'll be fascinating to see where this ends up or if someone comes up with a better topic. <laughs> topic. <laughs> no, I thought it was a top topic, Phil. Uh, <laughs> my top topic is actually around Bubba. We've, we've touched on Bubba, but he's he's actually embraced, Phil, our Uber Golf Barons rating system. I know. Did you see that? He's embraced How good it. Was that? I'm telling you, we're going places. He said that um, a bad pairing can cost, I think it was uh, between one and two shots around. One or two shots around, and and you know, it, it and he did make the comment that just as people can cost him one to two shots, he may well, well be costing other people. I'm, I'm, t- yeah, I'm tipping it. There's got to be a bit of a balancing act there as well, doesn't there? Um, but Uber golf ratings, I can't believe that. I mean, he must have listened to the podcast, started to live it. I'm think sure about he did, because there's no way he could have come up with this concept on his own. No. To then say, and not that you put your name down on the team sheet, but I think he's actually gone to the point of nominating to the PGA Tour, only pairing with 4.3s and above. It's just that he's extended some of the criteria in that you've got to be, you know, a jokester and you've got to be all these other things. But Uber Golf Ratings, I, I never realised exactly how many legs it had or how many different ways we've said it, Uber Rating Golf, Baron Rating, Baron Golf Ratings. It could it's be a centipede film. It's just the concept. Lots of legs. And Bubba, you know, as if we needed another leg up. Thank you, Bubba. (laughs) Very good. And on that note, Phil, I think it's time for your history lesson this week. Well, it's not really. We're going to evolve the history lesson into a bit of a conversation that that just allows the mind to go in different places. And this is about what what I've called the ruling party. And it's about rule changes that have happened over time, Mm -hmm. why potentially they've happened and what it has meant or how long they've hung around for. Dav asked the question uh, in one of our earlier podcasts about one ball and and the one ball rule. Hey, that was mine. That's I'm the one ball rule. That's what we talked about earlier. No, yes, I know. But in a slightly different, thank you, Damo. That's really good of you. But Dav asked an intelligent question uh, about the one ball rule, about the fact that, you can only use one rule. And so I had a look at the one ball rule and really not necessarily when it came in, but what led to it. So I'm going to give credit where it's due because I'm going to quote this whole thing because I wasn't bright enough to be able to put it into my own words. So the sorry, sorry Phil, you- are you, is, this, is this one ball rule the you have to finish a hole with the ball that you start with? No, it's a one ball rule in that in a tournament, 
for the round. For the round, you have to play the same yeah. ball, model of ball, model compression of ball. Gotcha. You you can't change anything. And can you um, change colour? You can't change anything. But can during you, a, during on really? a PGA Tour or an elite amateur event, you can't change anything. So so say just sorry before you don't mean to hijack you here, but say you say you had a Titleist Pro V One X. And then yep. you had a, a white ball, and you had the exact same model but yellow. You can't change. You can't do that. It's not the same. It's yellow. Interesting. Yeah, but the, what if the shade of white's different? Anyway, I'll I'll throw over to you. It just seems a little racist. If we can just get on with things now, because we've just lost. I'm watching drop off rates. So. Anyway, this, so this well. is from the Florida Times Unit, Jackson Union, and it's regarding the 1979 Players Championship at Sawgrass. So the one ball rule says. In, on professional on the USPJ tour and in elite amateur events, you have to play the exact same ball. Can't even change compression, as was pointed out by Seve to Paul Azinger during the 1991 Ryder Cup, when Azinger and Chip Beck changed the compression of a ball on one hole when they were playing foursomes or four ball. It was a 90 compression to 100, depending on the the shot. And Seve called them out, but they didn't get penalised. Uh, story for another time, unless I've already stalled, told it. Anyway, so this is all, all quite so. The wind was so bad, 1979 PGA uh, Players Championship, the wind was so bad that players developed a pattern at a time when there was no one-ball rule. Guys would hit a top flight into the wind and one of those big, dimpled, tightless downwind, Roger Maltby said. Mm. Maltby even conjectured that it was a, a, at players at Sawgrass that prompted the tour to invoke the one-ball rule for all events. When paired with Jack Nicklaus one windy day, Maltby said he knew he couldn't hit his wound ball into that kind of wind. So I dug in my bag and found an old Molotov. Do you remember the old Molotovs or are you too young? No, too young for that, Phil. They were actually made of bricks. Um, oh, really? They, they were, <laughs> there you go. They were rockets. They were rocket ships, but they were made of bricks. It was either bricks or concrete. I'm not sure. They were like small bowling balls, which is actually, I could have just been quiet and read on. I smoked a one-iron down the middle. Jack pulled out his driver and his wound ballada and hit that down the middle. When we got to the balls, I was 20 yards past him. Jack refused to believe it at first, then started on how we had to start using the one ball rule. It got changed soon after that. I don't know if that's the incident, but it might have been. Most recently, Russell Henley, and this is this is how difficult it is to police. Russell mm-hmm. Henley at the Maya Cobra in 2019 ended up getting disqualified for using the wrong ball. In his bag, all his golf balls were titled as Pro V1X. Yeah. Somehow within his bag, one of them was a previous Iteration of the of Pro V1X, Pro V1X. Oh, that's, which yeah. he only discovered, which he only discovered after the round. They couldn't work out how many shots he'd hit with it, or where he used it. So he had no choice, having shot seven under in the first round. To he's got a better eye. Well, he got, missed the cut. He, they've got better eyes than I do, Phil, because I I can't tell the difference by looking at them. There was a, apparently there was a tiny mark on the side that that he called himself out, but he called himself out like golf. Yeah, three golf. votes. He yeah. put his hand up and he said, "You know what." I'm out. I think his final score ended up being nominated. I think it's 77. He missed the cut. But the honesty of just saying, no, no, it's a one-ball rule. I just didn't do it. Mm-hmm. Three votes. So anyway, there's the actual one-ball rule demo. It's not your one-ball rule. But this idea of start to finish, start to finish, exactly how tight the regulations are around it. One ball. And that's only the beginning of my ruling party thing. We're going to take this a number of different places. Oh, I'm excited, Phil. I, I get that sense in a weird nonsensical kind of way. So, Phil, time for a bit of uh, a bit of champagne comedy. This is God. I wish I wish I had this to show everyone right now. This is a. You can't be accused of not suffering for your art. I know. I've, I know. I did throw that at you a couple of times during one at some of our um, reviews. That Phil, you've got to do this, mate. You've got to, you've got to suffer for your art in order to get the best out of yourself. 
And the code, I'm referring to the Code Chaos review, seeing your good self swimming in Port Phillip Bay in the middle of winter where the temperature outside was was about eight degrees, so I don't know how cold it was in the water, wearing, a pair, turtle. wearing a pair of shoes to test the waterproof claims. It's something that only barons would do, but you have to commit to it. It was hilarious. Some of the, some of the visuals you'll see on our Instagram page, but I do- Hats off to you, mate. That was that was fantastic by you. Can I tell you how not hilarious that was? So, one, I'm not a swimmer's bottom. Secondly, it was a cold day. Third, it was really cold for everyone out there who's seen Seinfeld. He was in the pool, all right. And I'm in a swimming suit, but Port Phillip Bay. I, I think the water was twelve and a half degrees. So Not it's probably only warmer that, inside, warmer in than out. What were you complaining about? Can I just tell you the joy on my face when I walked out, having almost stumbled over a couple of times because I had no feeling in my <laughs> brain whatsoever, to have esteemed cameraman Dav say, I didn't quite get the shot we're after. Yeah, f- what? Yeah, but uh, he said, he'd said it to me and said, oh, no, can you get him to go back in? <laughs> I was like, you're the director. Yeah, I was Don't standing in front of you it. at the time and he said it to uh, you. I think well, he knew how I was feeling. Yeah. The joy, though, the second time of running in, just because I do, you got to suffer every now and again. It was so invigorating to run in and dive into that water for the first two seconds until it struck me that I may well not survive. But the nicest piece of that whole journey and the whole swimming and the review of the Code Chaos was getting out of the water and having the two old blokes sitting up in front of the um, pavilion. The surf, yeah. One, the- of them, one of them who offered up the... Did you know that you swim like Seinf- uh, like Kramer out of Seinfeld? <laughs> it was a fair call, though. <laughs> <laughs> but I was tr- you told me that I had to kick so that things were visible on camera. It looked um, good. And then the other bloke said, technique doesn't matter when the water's that cold, champ. <laughs> I'll t- tell you what, I, you would, you'd have cut up rough if that drone footage went missing. Wouldn't I have, Dad? <laughs> you would have been an angry, angry giraffe. That's and for may sure. still be. Oh, uh, very good. Phil, I want to move along now to crystal balls, and I just want to give myself a, a bit of a tick here. Phil, remember I predicted way back when we were in isolation that in my first round back, I predicted I was going to have a shank after we got back from that, that forced isolation. And I sort of said it. It was tongue-in-cheek. Well, I had two, Phil, and they were both on the first hole. <laughs> two Hillary swanks on the first hole. You are a blade man. Oh, seriously, I was- I, I've, yeah, I went to I went to a very dark place, Phil. And before we even teed off on the second hole, I thought, "What have you done to me, COVID? What have you done to me?" All I can tell you is that hosels exist on all golf clubs, so it actually wouldn't have mattered whether you were using blades or whether <laughs> yeah. you're using the biggest, most oversized club of all time. It's still a hosel. They were definitely hosel adjacent. Those two shots, I didn't know. And, I, and again, that's the problem when you're in that when you find yourself doing that. You don't know why because you're trying so hard not to and you can't work out how it was happening. Oh, God. It was a, so, that's not a round to remember. So, let me just give you an insight into crystal balls and personal crystal balls when you're playing golf. And this is an a, is a unscripted thing, but my mate Al, and shout out to my mate Al, if ever you can crystal ball your own golf game, he, we're on a par five and he's pulled out the three wood and he said, this, I love this three wood because I top it every time. He then topped it, which he then proceeded to do again. The flip side of that is he then, every eight footer from the start of the round, he said, well, that's basically a gimme. It's eight foot away. 
He didn't miss one. You can yeah. crystal ball your own game. This is the, the Dr. Joe Parent thing, isn't it? It's uh, you can you you become what you fear or you become what you what you think and what you believe. So maybe I need to start trying to believe that I can play decent golf. Whether you think you can or whether you think you can't, either way, you're right. <laughs> exactly. Well, L, L. Anyway, there you go. It was it was an absolute joy and a pleasure. My crystal ball remains that the Ryder Cup will go ahead. It will. But, but a week out, one of the superstars of the game will test positive Ooh. for COVID. Ooh. Has he been um, hanging out with Novak Djokovic? Well, so it's going to be European then. You've just declared that. <laughs> but I think it's actually going to be an early release of COVID-20. I think oh, um, yes. because this is when all the new gear starts coming and turning up, I think someone's actually going to slip him a – it'll have a USGA approval, but it'll be COVID-20, not COVID-19, and they won't know what to do. So it's the upgrade, the early upgrade, Phil. Does it go ahead? If Rory tests positive to COVID a week out from the Ryder Cup, no. does it go ahead? No, it doesn't go ahead. Well, my – I had an early crystal ball that said that the Ryder Cup wouldn't wouldn't go ahead. So I did that from a mile out, and I've got to stick with it. I don't think it'll go ahead. I, I really don't think. I think they'll they'll either they'll call it a postponement or they'll do something with it maybe next year. But it will, there's no way it'll go ahead. There's too much. There's too many too many in Europe. I think who are who would be against playing at the moment, including Novak Djokovic. Mm-hmm. Oh no, he's happy to play. <laughs> oh, you know that's true because uh, it doesn't exist anyway. So what does it matter? There you go. Very good, Phil. Now I've got. A, I know there was something, someone you wanted to pay homage to 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 end today's podcast. It was Damo, and it's a, a personal thing. But a few weeks ago, golf and the golf industry in Australia uh, lost a great man in Ray Drummond. So Vale Ray Ray was a, a retail trailblazer, really in Australia. He wasn't. He didn't open the first off course shop in Australia, but he was the first one to, to get a. a China or a series of shops going. Ray was without doubt, and I've shared a lot of stories with an old mate of mine about our time with Ray. Ray was the best salesman that I have ever seen. I remember setting up a, a shop in Sydney with Ray when he brought Nevada Bob's golf shops to Australia. And there were two sets on the shelf, but he was, and boxes everywhere, but he was so engaging and, and such a caring human being that both sets walked out before we were even open to uh, to two friends that became good friends of Ray's while we were there. He was an ideas man. You know, at a time when bulk buying didn't really exist, mm-hmm. he would load up and it didn't matter whether it was golf clubs, golf balls, tennis rackets or anything else. And Ray always said that when he went, he wanted to be buried in the pride of his fleet, which is a, uh, a yellow sandman. Um so I don't know whether that came about, but to Denise and Warren and the family respects, great man, uh, did a lot for people in the golf industry. Not every one of his ideas worked, but it wasn't for lack of ideas. So Valet Ray Drummond. And on that note, we'll bring this Tenuous Links golf podcast to a close. Special thanks to today's sponsor, the Titleist AVX Balls. Make sure you get out and get some of those in your bag. And be sure to watch Golf Baron Season 1, now available on demand on Foxtel and KO, with new episodes released weekly. And also head over to baronslife.com to join our community and get reminders about our podcast and updates on Baron's Life Golf and Lifestyle magazine releases. Until next time, see you later, Barons. I'm off to the gym. <laughs>